0: Everyone is howling about paws of Fury. It's the most fun comedy of the summer. I am your father. no no I'm not. <laughs> Michael Sarah. It's showtime. And Samuel L. Jackson.
1: What the motherfucker, kind of spaniel's going on here?
0: Pause of Fury. Only in Theaters this Friday. Rated PG.
1: And welcome to the X Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell for the next four hours. I am your host, I'm your guide, as together we cross the time space continuum to this place that I call the X Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and to dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And we come to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the X Zone Broadcast Network, the X Zone TV channel. And, of course, our broadcast affiliates, including Simultv, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Uh, let me see, Talkstar Radio Network, and that's just a few. And, of course, our main broadcast network, XZBN, the Exxon Broadcast Network. To find out all about the programming we have available for you, 724-365, visit www.xzbn.net. And for the programming on the Exxon TV channel, visit www.xzbn.net simultv.com before I get to my guest this hour I'd just like to thank all the all the many many um, cable and other providers that the Exxon TV channel is on around the world thanks to our good friends at Simultv and I just have the listing of, uh, of where we are seen around the world and I'd like to share that with you United States, Bangladesh, Europe France, Japan, Jamaica, United Kingdom, Australia, Africa, and in Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, Ni- Nigeria and the US, South Africa, Tanzania, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Turkey, uh, Southeast Asia, including China, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Korea, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, Taiwan, Thailand, Vietnam, and um, then of course, you know, uh, other countries like um, Bahrain, KSA, Lebanon, Qatar, the United Arabs, Emirates, India. South Korea and uh, throughout Australia that's just some of the stations and according to our good friends at at uh, Simultv thanks to their their, um, their partners OONA, STIRMX, TATA, MNC, Global Telecom uh, the, the marine industries that carry the Exxon and Simul TV channels on their cruise ships Comcast uh, 500 to 1500 hotels throughout Europe the number, and I, I, I had to take a second look at this when I got this, and, uh, and I said, you guys are kidding. And they said, no, these are the, the confirmed numbers. Are you ready for this, Exxon Nation? 211,436,972 people view the Zone TV show through our different affiliates. So thank you so much, each and every one of you, for making this a, a journey of a lifetime. We started this ship, this, this quest, this journey, over 30 years ago, and that was with one station. And thanks to you, the interest in the paranormal, as well as all the great guests we get on this show, we are where we are today, and uh, the sky is the limit. Speaking about guests, uh, we've had this gentleman on the show before. His name is Eddie Upnick. And, uh, Eddie, welcome back, and congratulations on book number seven.
2: Thank you, Rob. It's, uh, it's been a grind, but it's been enjoyable at the same time.
1: Yeah. Uh, Eddie, for our listeners who did not have the pleasure of l- hearing you with us when you were back on with us, I believe it was 2016, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay. In the 70s, I was a joke writer for Rodney Dangerfield, And I also did uh, some ghostwriting for sitcoms Mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s. And I started writing these books uh, after I met uh, Sidney Dowes in 1994 in Antigua Mm -hmm. on vacation. He was an MI6 agent who told me stories about World War II that weren't in any history book. And his stories, uh, I talked to him for about 40 hours over the course of seven days. And uh, those stories he told me are in every one of my seven books. I mixed in fact with some fiction and was able to come up with a storyline that uh, I think Sydney would be proud
1: of. Where did your first book start with? You know, what part of this this amazing story that, that you have shared with us over the years, what was the very first book about and how did you start off this book that has lasted, uh, this story that has now lasted into seven books.
2: Well, it, in Antigua, my wife and I were there, and Sydney mm-hmm. was there with his wife, and we were sitting opposite of each other at a Sandals resort, and his wife says, oh, you know, Sydney, he's one of the men that escaped from Sagan, you know, the prison camp they made that movie about, uh, The Great Escape. Right. And I was always a big fan of The Great Escape. And I started asking Sydney all kinds of questions Mm -hmm. and he was telling me things about the movie that were not too well known. And as we progressed, he was later telling me that, you know, before he was shot down, he worked for MI six when the war broke out. And the reason he was shot down is he was one of the few people who worked for MI six that actually could fly an aeroplane. And Britain needed pilots desperately. So he was on a reconnaissance mission over France when he was shot down. And that's how he became one of the prisoners um, in the Great Escape movie. He was one of the tunnel kings. He said, uh, like the Charles Bronson mm-hmm. character in the movie, if yeah. anyone remembers the uh, 1963 classic. Uh,
1: one, of the, one of the greatest movies ever made.
2: Yeah, I, th- I thought so. Yeah. It was, uh, and you know, he, one of the things he told me that very few people know is that none of the americans actually escaped in reality because two days before the breakout mm-hmm. all the americans were put into one barracks and that barracks happened to be furthest away from where the tunnel was built so they couldn't get out but of course for hollywood you had to have steve mcqueen and james garner get out and steal an airplane and a motorcycle and. You know, making a m- little more exciting. Sure, I but I, re- I remember else else there being true.
1: talk. I remember there being talk that Hogan's Hero was actually based on, on the Great Escape.
2: Uh, some of that, and some of yeah. Stalag Seventeen. Right. I think I think the sergeant in Stalag Seventeen was Schultz, and mm-hmm. they used that one in Hogan's Heroes. Too, right. That name. But anyway, with with Sydney, he. Uh, after we had our initial drinks and he was talking about you know the great escape and how mm-hmm. he got out of there later in the week he started to open up to me cuz he had no children and he said you know Eddie I got some stories here that uh, really should be told I have no children somebody's got to hear this and I guess I was easy to talk to and he started telling me stories about the beginning of the war and something that happened at British Command Headquarters that had everybody turn in their heads. Uh, <laughs> he said the two men came into British Command Headquarters in July of 1939, and they were carrying some form of handheld devices. And they said, we're here to help you defeat the Germans, and we have uh, an advanced technology we'd like to use to improve your radar system And then he helped break the Enigma codes for them. And these two men were there a total of maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And they were pushing buttons and somehow interfacing with the systems that the British had. And as these two men were leaving, Stuart Menzies, who was the head of MI6, he said to these guys, well, who are you guys? And he said, well, you know, we're here to make sure a certain future doesn't happen. And they said, well, aren't you German defectors? Is no, we're not German defectors We're here to make sure a certain future doesn't happen, and then they just left. And that story gave me goosebumps, and it triggered the whole writing of this series. So, <clears throat> you know, this was the beginning of it, and then Sydney started to tell me stories about. Uh, also, one other thing I left out: the the men who were leaving handed a note to one of the men at the at the door and said make sure you get these 19 names and kill all of them. They're German spies working at MI6. And sure enough, Stuart Menzies looked up the names, followed them in on the list for two weeks, and he realized they were German spies and they were all shot. So it, it, was, it was a fascinating story, and I believed him. You know, like I have no proof other than his telling me these stories. But he went on with me about Churchill and Joseph mm-hmm. Kennedy, and st- stories are just not in any history book. He was he was talking about Churchill in particular, and he said they broke the Japanese code in late November of nineteen forty-one.
1: All right, we're gonna take our first break here. Please stand by, Eddie. A fascinating story. Nation Eddie Upnick is our guest, and if you'd like to find out more about Eddie Upnick, his website is ww.eddyupnick. Dot com. That's E-D-D-I-E-U-P-N-I-C-K dot com. And Deddy and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, the X-Chronicles newspaper for May-June 2019 is available with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. Exo Nation Eddie Upnick is our guest of this hour. His website eddieupnick.com. Now, Eddie, in the previous segment, we were talking about uh, these men who seemed to come out of nowhere, went to British intelligence, helped them with information that I don't know where they got it from, and um, they also give, gave a list of uh, Russians or German spies that were. Had actually infiltrated the system. The um, MI6 followed these men, and they were bound to be uh, double agents, so to speak, and they and they were executed. So, Eddie, who were the men who came with that information? Who nobody knew who they were.
2: Well, that was a question that uh, Sydney told me mm-hmm. they hadn't really understood. I mean, Sydney said. You know, Menzies suspected they might have come uh, you know, back in time or something like that. Right. But he never really went into it until after the war was over in nineteen fifty five. Menzies and Sydney were having a drink in a bar in London and Menzies opened up to Sydney and said, So you know those two guys, man, they they had to be time travelers. There's no one there's nothing else they could have been. That's but I don't want to say that publicly because they all think I'm nuts. And, and that was kind of the way it went. And that really was the, the key story to triggering the writing of these books, particularly book number one, Time Will Tell, right. which, which is a story of a dystopian future where the Nazis won World War II and four scientists go back in time to try to change history.
1: Now, did these time travelers, to the best of your knowledge, based on the uh, the conversations that you had with Sydney, did they also supply the other allies with information?
2: Not to my knowledge. It was just that, you know, nineteen thirty-nine, July of thirty-nine. They were there for a total of fifteen or twenty minutes, and that was it.
1: Why did Sydney think that these men, these time travelers? went and helped the British and not any other allies
2: he was a pretty straightforward guy I mean he, mm-hmm. he, he wasn't one to you know hyperbole about uh, time travel or anything else uh, that he viewed as out there right he just sort of reported to be hmm. you know what Menzies thought and he said we couldn't refute the information. He said when the two men said they weren't Nazi, Nazi defectors, right? Then, well, who could they have been? You know, it was, that was uh, an interesting part of this whole scenario. And you know, if there ever were time travelers, if there ever was a chance, I mean, World War mm-hmm. II would have been a pivotal time in our history, where maybe some of these guys would have shown up to help one side or the other.
1: But if they were time travelers, why didn't they show up during World War One to prevent World War Two?
2: I, I I cannot answer that question.
1: I uh, ju- no just idea. thought I'd uh, I'd put it on the table. Now, what did Winston Churchill know about the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in November of 1941?
2: Well, this was one of the most interesting stories among many mm-hmm. in the forty hours that I interviewed Sydney. Uh, he said that in late November of 41. The British broke the Japanese code, and they saw that on December 7th, they were planning to attack Pearl Harbor. And they also saw in this note Mm -hmm. that if three of the four aircraft carriers that the United States had stationed at Pearl Harbor were destroyed during the sneak attack, then Japan would have invaded Hawaii. That was the plan. So Churchill was thinking about this for a couple of days, you know, according to Sydney, mm-hmm. and came up with a compromise plan where he called Roosevelt, and he just said, listen, get your four aircraft carriers out of Pearl Harbor between December 1st and December 14th. And Roosevelt asked him why. He said, don't ask any questions, just do it. And they did it. They, they sent all four aircraft carriers out on maneuvers. So when the Japanese attacked at at dawn uh, on December 7th, they sunk a battleship or two, but, you know, none of the aircraft carriers were there. So Japan didn't invade Hawaii. And uh, history, you know, might have changed on that dime as well if uh, the British hadn't broken that code. I mean, so many key pivotal things happened at the beginning of World War II that could have changed history.
1: No, I understand there was a connection between Adolf Hitler and uh, Joseph Kennedy.
2: Yep, that was another one of the great stories Sidney told me, that Joseph Kennedy was filmed by mm-hmm. the B- British intelligence. In fact, Sydney was involved in this directly. He was one of the MI6 agents that followed Joseph Kennedy uh, into Germany in the late 1930s. And they saw Joseph Kennedy signing an agreement with Adolf Hitler. And they wanted to know what was in that agreement. And apparently, it was brought back to London, and uh, Joseph Kennedy was the ambassador from the United States, mm-hmm. uh, staying in London in the Court of St James. And Sydney said, "Okay, uh, how do we handle this? How do, you know." So Churchill said, "I'll invite Joseph Kennedy for dinner. And while he's here, you break into the American embassy. They somehow got the." Uh, code to the safe and they said you film the document put it back in the safe and bring it to me and i'll keep him here long enough until you tell me you know you've got it so this is what they did he joseph kennedy waited for when joseph kennedy left and was having dinner with churchill Mm -hmm. they broke in to the american embassy and photocopied this uh, or made a picture of this document and what the document said when they got back to churchill was when Germany wins World War II, Joseph Kennedy was going to be his top lieutenant in the United States. Hmm. So, Churchill, th- th- you know, Sidney was looking at me. he says, you wouldn't believe what Churchill said. He, he said he turned to him and said, there's going to be a curse on this family for this man signing the deal with the devil. And then to think about what happened to the Kennedy children. Yeah, exactly. You know, wow. That no. one had me take a step backwards.
1: Now, um, speaking about history, Neville Chamberlain was always looked at as the fool. But was he really the fool that history has painted him out to be?
2: Sidney said he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Sidney said he was trying to buy time <clears throat> for, for England to build weapons, build more ships, build, right. build more bombs. So he played the fool, and he played up to Hitler. But he said he really got a bad rap in history. Uh, that, that he he wasn't you know really as, as stupid as they made him out to be. That uh, he he thought peace in our time with Adolf Hitler was possible. So, that's that's how he put it. One last story about Joseph Kennedy. After they found out about this note, they knew that Joseph Kennedy was being tipped off by the Germans anytime there was a bombing run on England. So they wa- the MI6 watched him closely. So anytime he left England and went north into the hills, they knew the Germans were sending their bombers.
1: But but so weren't the, British, the bomber but weren't wasn't it uh, wasn't england getting bombed every night?
2: At at this point it was not always london that was being bombed they were going after airfields right. but they always knew when london was the target i see that joseph kennedy was leaving town hmm. they sent up their fighter planes and they used them for counterintelligence and they you know sydney said we shot down a whole bunch of bombers thanks to joseph kennedy even though he didn't know it because you know when he left sure. town they, they sent the fighter planes up to shoot down the german
1: bombers Another, another thing that really interested me was uh, apparently, um, when was this, uh, du, 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 German submarine.
0: Free kids' workshops are back in stores at the Home Depot. On the first Saturday of every month from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., bring your little ones to a local Home Depot for a hands-on learning experience that kids love. Find more kid-friendly projects and kids' workshop kits at homedepot.com kids. For 25 years, The Home Depot has been building confident future doers with its free kids' workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Lost by last, U.S. only. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. I'm sorry, I can't operate on that vehicle. But doctor, you took an oath. That RV, it's... My son's RV. Oh, doctor, isn't there anything you can do? I'm not a miracle worker, Sheila. I'm an RV surgeon trained to save the lives of large, injured recreational vehicles, which is definitely a real profession.
1: When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered.
2: See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates covered subject to policy terms.
0: Don't miss incredible Macy's Black Friday in July specials, like 50% off designer dresses for any occasion. And complete the look with 30 to 50% off summer shoes and sandals. And get 40 to 60% off gadgets and cookware from Martha Stewart Collection. Or get an extra 25% off with your coupon or Macy's card. Plus download the Macy's app for even more great deals. Savings off sale and clearance prices, exclusions apply.
1: U 505 surrendered without a fight off the coast of africa what's the story behind that
2: well this was a story i i haven't <clears throat> sydney told me about this and and tonight i haven't really discussed this with you in the past right when i was on the show but this was pretty fascinating and i put two and two together once that show hunting hitler came out mm. on the history channel right where the cia was looking into you know who escaped at the end of the war did right. Hitler get out did he get to Argentina mm-hmm. and basically this U-505 uh, there, someone tipped off the Americans off the coast of Africa that there was a, a U-boat heading for Argentina and three destroyers uh, went to the target coordinates and this German sub didn't even fire a shot. They just came up, and surrendered. It's the only time a, a ship was surrendered intact. The German submarine U-505. There was one German crewman who was killed by radiation sickness. And when they went in, they found U-271 uranium, uh, which they were taking to Argentina. So apparently, this was near the end of the war. So. The Germans were planning a fourth Reich in Argentina and they were trying to take their nuclear official materials over there so they can, you know, start up again, uh, in Argentina because Juan Peron, who was the head of Argentina, was a Hitler sympathizer and you know, they were gonna build it all up again.
1: Whoa, Craig, that was kinda loud, my friend. You got the point across to us. All right, it's time for our break. And um Fascinating story. We're going to be speaking more about Sidney Dow's and um, the information that he was able to share with our guest this hour, Eddie Upnick. If you'd like to find out more about Eddie, his website is www.eddieupnick.com. And Eddie and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. And X-Zone Nation, welcome back. With This is the Zone Radio Show, TV show with yours truly, Bob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Now, before I get back to Eddie Upton, Upnick, who is our guest this hour, www.eddyupnick.com. Just like to remind you about some of the other great programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. You have Know the Name, Know the Genius in You with our host, uh, Sharon Lynn Wyeth. And then you have Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Biteman, M.D. A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. Paranormal Stakeout with Larry Lawson. Heart to Heart with Dan and Angela Clark. Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. <coughs> Excuse me. And Cal's Corner with Cal Corp. And they're just some of the shows that we have available for you at xzbn.net. Eddie Upton is our upnick. Why did I call you Eddie Upton? Who's Eddie Upton? I have no... Well,
2: there's an Upton who's a baseball player.
1: Well, all right. Uh, No offense meant there, my friend. Eddie Upton is our guest. And once again, his website is www.eddieupnick.com. Besides that, it's Friday. It's been a long week
2: beautiful
1: day it is a beautiful day mind you every day is beautiful when you wake up on this side of the grass <laughs> so yeah, so right. we were we were talking uh before the uh before the news break about you know the uh u505 and, and some other events but it seems that argentina plays a major role in post world war 2 na- uh, germany as as they saw it as as if they were the victors, or was this also their plan if they lost?
2: Well, Sydney was telling me stories that were confirmed, like I said before about this Hunting Hitler series that was on the History Channel, that in the mid-1930s, the Germans were buying all the land that they could on hilltops and very inaccessible places in Argentina. And this was their plan, that if they lost the war... This was where they were uh, to escape to because Juan Peron would protect them, and they had pill boxes everywhere mm-hmm. and and you know when Sidney was telling me this, I was just sort of listening to it, you know, not believing it a hundred percent, but when I saw the hunting Hitler story as a whoa, you know this adds up to exactly what he was talking about, and he said two hundred and fifty high ranking Nazis, possibly including Hitler, escaped to Argentina via seaplanes and submarines leaving mm. out of Norway. And they had tunnels underneath Berlin that led to all these different airfields. And and it just sort of, you know, was very interesting to me that it, it, this was possible, that he actually got out. And he said that once these 250 Germans got to Argentina, mm-hmm. they were left alone by the united states even though our intelligence services knew they were there and truman made a decision he had his advisors come to him and they said listen we know these 250 nazis are in argentina but we don't want to make it public if we make it public then the russians are going to send twenty thousand troops to argentina and this was the beginning of the cold war and they didn't want the russians to have a foothold in our hemisphere So they decided it was better to let 250 aging Nazis live out their lives in Argentina than have 20,000 Russian troops looking for them and then staying in Argentina and creating missile bases or whatever they might be doing after that. That was part.
1: Well, based on what you were told by Dows who may have been told this by, given the information by Menzies was Hitler killed in the bunker in Germany or was he alive and brought to Argentina
2: Sydney didn't didn't know he was sort of agnostic about mm-hmm. that but he said it's very possible because Mengele got out Bormann got out a lot of the top Nazis were definitely uh, escaped to Argentina uh, among many of them were never found. And there was some pictures of, of there was a picture of Hitler. Mm-hmm. He said that where he looked like he was 55 years old, 60 years old. There was a a, a medicine, he had ulcers, apparently. Adolf Hitler had ulcers. And it was a meta- specific medicine that he took while he was in Berlin. Right, And they found empty bottles of this medicine mm. in the jungles of Argentina. So you know, they said it's possible that he did get out.
1: Was there, was there anything that Menzies discussed with Dow's that, that sent chills up Dow's back?
2: Well, I mean, this, the 1955 story in the bar that, you know, Menzies thought these two men were time travelers, Yeah, that was, that was the most uh, goosebump story that he'd heard. And certainly when Sidney told me that, that was my goosebump moment. And uh, it was, you know, just so many of these stories were just not in any history book, and unfortunately, they don't really teach history anymore in colleges. Uh, so it's it, a lot of this stuff gets lost.
1: How did you authenticate the stories that you were told to by dows if they didn't, if they weren't in history books?
2: Well, it, I don't have any proof of it. I just have his stories mm. and my belief. In him telling me these mm-hmm. stories, because like his wife kept saying to me, he doesn't talk to people about the war. He never talks to anyone, and it's very surprising that after four days of your prodding him, he's finally opened up and he's talking about this. And like I said earlier, he he said he didn't have any children, right. and he wanted to get these stories out. He didn't want them to die with him.
1: How do, were you able to? Uh, were you able to vet? The fact that dows himself was, in fact, a member of military intelligence, OI6? Yes. Uh,
2: in fact, there was a video. He, he was a very wealthy man. Mm-hmm. Uh, his family was wealthy, and they did a video on, I think, the 50th anniversary of the escape from Sagan. Right. The prison camp where everyone who was still alive came to this thing and you know in in the video they were talking about all these other people that worked for MI5 or MI6 along mm. with Sydney
1: but did do they mention Sydney's name
2: well i mean it was narrated by Sydney
1: oh okay so, but that all right now uh, but once again how did you know how do you know for a fact that Sydney was in fact a member of mi six you know to narrate a video and not be part of the of the content, but putting yourself into that into that scenario would be very easy to do but did you know was there any way of of, of background checking with military intelligence the the armed services in in Great Britain that he in fact was a member of, of the military or military intelligence.
2: Well, you're right. I didn't check with the military, okay. but I, I just trusted him when he told me these stories. I believed him because I had, you know, I said, you have no reason not to tell me. You
1: know,
2: mm-hmm. he, he was, when he started telling me the stories, uh-huh. He said, you know, I was working at my desk at MI6, and everybody was leaving me alone, and then they said, we need pilots and he raised his hand he said yeah i'm a pilot and then they threw him on an airplane and he got shot down Wow! so i mean that's it doesn't seem like he was exaggerating what happened at that moment right but right. You're, you're right rob i mean i you know i didn't research him mm-hmm. you know his mi6 history maybe as much as i should have the, the
1: story must have been very compelling for you at that point when when you were taking everything that uh, that Sydney was was telling you as verbatim well
2: i'm very good at reading people yeah. you know i've always been that way and right. and you know i can usually tell when somebody's BSing me about mm-hmm. something and i just didn't get that feeling at all when gotcha. i was talking to this man i mean it was you know my wife was saying you know this guy sounds like the real deal you yeah. know I, yeah he is
1: during, during the time he was talking to you about his, his involvement in, in World War II and as being a part of military intelligence, MI6, was his wife there as well?
2: His wife was... No, no. The conversations I had were yeah. just with him. I see. Aside from when we were having dinner together, the four of
1: us. And when the four of you were having dinner, did he talk about uh, M- MI6 and, and what he did in the war? No. No way. never. No Okay. I, I didn't
2: talk about it in front of the women. Why not? I guess he's old school. Uh. He was before the Me Too movement, I guess.
1: <laughs> All right, you and I have to take our final break. Uh, Exo Nation, our guest this hour, is Eddie Upnick. His website is www.eddieupnick.com. And don't forget some of the great shows we have available for you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, the radio part, that is. Know the Name with Lynn Wyeth. Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Biteman, M.D. A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. PSO or Paranormal Stakeout with Larry Lawson. Heart to Heart with Dan and Angela Clark. Too Good to Be True with Justina and Peter Marsh. Mission Evolution with Gwilwieka and Cal's Corner with Cal Corp. This is The Xona. I'm Rob McConnell. And uh, Eddie Epnick and I will be back on the other side of this short break as we wrap up this hour. Uh, Wrap up this week. No, we still have a couple of more guests to do, Craig. But you're right, this is Friday. And Friday always goes so fast. So to each and every one of you listening, because a few of you will not be joining us when we come back from the top of the hour, have a very safe weekend. And uh, as I always say to you when you're leaving, always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. This is The Acton. I am Rob McConnell. Eddie Upnick and I return on the other side of this break. Don't go away. And welcome back, everyone. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Eddie Upnick is our guest this hour, www.eddieupnick.com. Eddie, I understand that the Russian consulate uh, contacted you back in uh, 2012. What was that about?
2: Well, my second book at that time was Future Tense. Yeah. And I dropped a copy of the book off. I live in New York, so I dropped Mm -hmm. a copy of the book off at the Russian consulate, and I circled the page where putin was killed in twenty seventeen by his own bodyguard i have no idea why i did this i must have been uh... had a couple of beers or something and thought this would be good publicity so i drop it off about three weeks later i get a phone call somebody calls me up and he says i'd like to speak to eddie Upnik, please so immediately i got the impression that this was the consulate calling me and they and he says to me yeah the I got this book you know where you circled that Putin is shot by his bodyguard in 2017. We would like to know who is going to shoot him. And I just said it's it's 20 2011. You know, it's 6 years from now. It's mm-hmm. a fictional book, you know, I don't know who's going to shoot him. Yes, yes, I know it's fiction, but fiction is based on fact, is it not? I said, "Yeah, sometimes." So who's going to kill him? And I just couldn't get this guy off the phone. He, he just thought I knew who was going to shoot him. And so I, I just eventually, you know, got him off the phone, and I was looking around for black SUVs following me, but uh, never happened. I thought that was pretty comical that the, they thought I knew who was going to shoot Putin six years later.
1: Well, that that would be the same reply or response that the U.S. Secret Service would would uh, would follow with protocol if somebody dropped a a book off at the American Embassy saying that somebody was going to shoot the president uh, six years from now too. They'd take it very serious.
2: That's probably true. Yeah. And I don't know if I was looking for publicity or a good story, but. Yeah. Uh, I, I realized afterwards I probably shouldn't have done it.
1: <laughs> well, hindsight is twenty twenty, right?
2: Yeah, you know. I mean, yeah, I figured I'd give it a shot, and uh, if it got to Putin, maybe I could get an interview with him or something. That would have been worth it.
1: I, I don't think he goes to the gulags in uh, in Russia, so
2: uh, <laughs> which is where I might be if yes. that we went through.
1: Especially if they took you to be very serious. Uh, listen, December the 11th, 1941, what is so significant about that date?
2: Well, according to Winston Churchill, mm. that was the key date of World War II, and nobody really quotes that date anymore, because after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. four days earlier on December 7th, yeah. Churchill was expecting the United States to declare war on Germany as well as Japan. But we didn't. Well, we only declared war on Japan. Well,
1: that's because Germany didn't attack Pearl Harbor.
2: Right. But yeah. Churchill was hoping the United States would get into both wars, and you know, because Britain really needed our help at that point. And he was panicking for four days. And then on December 11th, mm-hmm. Hitler declared war on the United States. Right. And that you know, put a big smile on Churchill's face. Because now the United States could get involved in the European war. Well, 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 the the
1: United States was inadvertently involved because the United States was supplying uh, the British Isles and and European allies with food and and other things in the giant convoys that were crossing the Atlantic.
2: That's true. They were given twenty destroyers were in the lend-lease were Mm -hmm. given, but at the same time they they wanted a million American troops coming over too. And that couldn't happen until Hitler declared war on the United States on December 11th.
1: Um, thinking about the possibility about the these time travelers, do you think that time travel has influenced the future?
2: Well, uh, you know, maybe it's influenced the past, not the mm-hmm. future. I don't know.
1: Well, if, if, if something happens in, let's say, somebody comes from the future and they make the changes in the past, does it, doesn't that affect the entire time-space continuum?
2: Well, it's interesting you ask that question because in the seventh book that I just finished, mm-hmm. it's basically a story of alternate realities. And the seven protagonists in the book mm-hmm. are asked to go back in time to try to destroy the most deadly ship of all time in space that killed 78 trillion people in a hundred different planets. So if they're successful, then e- even their own histories would be changed. Right. As well as all these other planets that were destroyed that are now not destroyed. So <clears throat> I have thought about that. There's no way to really answer it one way or the other, but you can certainly think about it.
1: okay so let, Ross
2: Sterling certainly did.
1: Let's just give it a little bit of thought here. If somebody from the future comes to the past to change an event of such magnitude as the event that we were just talking about, he wouldn't exist or she wouldn't exist. They wouldn't exist because the time this time space continuum had been altered. So how could they actually come from the future? To the past, if their future doesn't exist.
2: Well, in my stories, I have a, a supreme being that is helping, ah. that that gives all of them a time chip in their DNA, which allows them to remember both timelines.
1: Prior to meeting uh, Sydney Dowse, uh, were you were you interested in in time travel and in the possibility of the future in the past? coexisting at the same time in alternate realities?
2: Well, I did grow up with the Twilight Zone and the Mm -hmm. Outer Limits and One Step Beyond, and, you know, I I was definitely a sci-fi kid. You know, those things entered my mind when I was 10 years old and they sort of stayed with me. And that went into Star Trek, so.
1: Oh, that was a great TV show. Um, Absolutely. Are there any pictures anywhere of Sidney Dowse?
2: Uh, I think online. If, if someone Googles him, yeah. they'll show pictures of Sidney, maybe even from the uh, 50th anniversary. Very good looking man, gray haired. Mm-hmm. You know, he passed away in 2009.
1: Oh, well, that's too bad.
2: Yeah, well, he asked me not to write about the stories he told me until after he passed away. Mm hmm. So I started writing "Time Will Tell" in two thousand nine, and it was released in twenty ten. And so, well,
1: I, why why do you think he didn't want you to write about him until he was dead?
2: He told me he didn't want to answer reporters' questions.
1: Could so that that was
2: part of the reason he said, you know, just make sure, mm-hmm. you know, I, I you don't write about yeah. this until I'm gone because I don't want to. Have to sit here and ask que- answer questions of reporters
1: could it be that, that could it be that he did not want to be asked questions by reporters because they could actually prove or disprove anything he said?
2: Well, that's always a possibility, yeah. but i like I said before, I trusted him. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was making stories up to impress you know to i don't I didn't see sure. him as an egotist, you know not he just wasn't that way. he was very laid back and I had to pull this information out of him. It took me five days uh, of talking to him before he really opened up about, you know, the the good stories of Churchill and time travel and all that.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what's next with you? Uh, are you going to be writing a book eight?
2: <laughs> well, we'll see how this one goes. Uh, uh, as I said, there was someone at HBO that was interested in the series, and right. of, of course, my, you know, he 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 was <clears throat> his demise happened. He was fired, so. We'll have to find someone else to uh, pick up on it. But I think this seven-book series would make a great series on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, the Sci-Fi Channel. I mean, it it could run ten years because it's the story of the time traveler's family covering 150 years of time.
1: All right, Eddie, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And Dexone Nation, if you'd like to find out more about Eddie Upnick, visit his website, Eddie Upnick dot com alright let's take a look at this let's do a little bit of a reality check here you've got great stories but they can't be authenticated you've got somebody telling you stories who claims to have been a member of MI6 who the author has never vetted so we don't know if any of this information that we heard about over the last hour is true did Churchill really say what he was supposed to say and the fact that Eddie brought his book to the Russian consulate or the Russian embassy circling the fact that in 2017 the you know Putin would be assassinated by somebody close that, that would raise flags with anybody, the Secret Service. And why would somebody really do that? To me, that seems like a very sensationalistic act. And if this is the action of the author, then that puts, in my opinion, the credibility of anything, especially the credibility of Sidney Dowes or even his very existence. I'm Rob McConnell. We'll be back on the other side of this break. After all, this is the Exxon Broadcast Network, where we search for answers, but we demand the truth. We'll be back, don't go away.
0: workshops are back in stores at The Home Depot on the first Saturday of every month from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Bring your little ones to a local Home Depot for a hands-on learning experience that kids love. Find more kid-friendly projects and kids workshop kits at homedepot.com/kids. For 25 years, The Home Depot has been building confident future doers with its free kids workshops. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Was this last US only. Free Kids' Workshops are back in stores at The Home Depot. On the first Saturday of every month, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., bring your little ones to a local Home Depot for a hands-on learning experience that kids love. Find more kid-friendly projects and Kids' Workshop kits at homedepot.com kids. For 25 years, The Home Depot has been building confident, future doers with its free Kids' Workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Lost by last, U.S. only.